As many of you are aware, over the years, sports have been a very important thing to me. I enjoyed throughout high school and college playing sports, both football and lacrosse, formally and many other sports informally. And now as we've gotten on, I not only like to watch athletic events, but I love to participate in them as well. Even some that frustrate me incredibly, like golf and other kinds of things. But, you know, I, I, I have vivid memories from both high school and college of times when we went into games and we got absolutely creamed. You know, when I was a, a senior in high school, we played a high school, uh, I was playing for Lincoln Seabury Regional High School just, just to our, our east, and we went out to play a school by the name of Cardinal Spellman. I still don't know where it is because I got a concussion halfway through the game, but, but, but we lost 26 to nothing. You know, and nothing ever good is going to happen in practice when you lose 26 to nothing the next week. And, and so, sure enough, we came back, and, and on Monday we, we started running 26 40-yard sprints at the end of every practice. And, and we did that the rest of the year because we won the next game. The coach just thought it was a good idea. But when it, whenever those kinds of things happen, what coaches always do is they go back to fundamentals. Usually you come in on a Monday and you go out in shorts and a helmet and you watch a little film and et cetera, and then you start on Tuesday, you know, working on a new, you know, they'd maybe install a new offense. You just walk through it, and then on Tuesday you start practicing. But on that Monday, we went out in full pads. And they just said, okay, guys, let's work on our stances. And we got into stances, you know. And then we just worked on form tackling and then on real tackling and on blocking and et cetera. And we just went back to the fundamentals over and over and over again. And we did that all week long. It wasn't until the end of the week they installed a couple of new plays for the team we were playing, and we went out and we won. And the same thing happened in college. Remember, I, I went to Bates College up in Lewiston, Maine, and there is no easy way to get to Middlebury, Vermont from Lewiston, Maine. We used to come down to Ver- Portsmouth, across 101, up 93 to 89, and then you know drop down from Burlington to Middlebury. And we went over there. We got there on a Friday night. We spent the night. Next morning we go out. We got a game like at, at noon or 1 o'clock, and we lost like 45 to nothing. Same thing, come Monday, no, no, no shorts and helmets, full pads. Same thing, let's get in a stance. And we just started working on blocking and on tackling and went right back to the fundamentals. And, you know, I hated those weeks. But they were good for me. And they were good for the team. Because we got back to stuff that works. And, and, and this is that kind of principle of, of going back to the basics when things aren't working right is not restricted just to sports. I mean, both of my sons have laptop computers that are called Lenovo. They used to be made by IBM. They got rid of that business because they couldn't make any money in it. They got back to the core stuff that they did well. They went back to basics. And you can see that in, in, in many large corporations who have they've shrunk back to the things that, they, that are the basics, the fundamentals. Well, you know what? I have this sense that it's a great time for us to remember the fundamentals of what it takes to live well in this life. Not only before God, but just to live well in life. And, and the place I'd love to point to us to are the Ten Commandments. You know, in many ways, life is coming apart around us. The social statistics that are out there are just depressing. I mean, you know, it's not even a matter of just listening to the news or reading the paper and you hear about all the awful things that are happening from accidents like guys falling out of, a, out of the stadium seat and and dying right in front of his son, which, you know, that's just a freak accident, to people who are literally shooting up their families. You know, there's a, been a time in the last 15 to 20 years where there was a divorce every 30 seconds in America. Every 30 seconds. Families coming apart at the seams. You know, there, there have been times in, our, in, our, in the last 15 to 20 years and, and, and off and on where the rate of childbirth, one out of four children was born to a mother who was not married born into a single family, a single parent home. 
and the struggles that come with that. We just instinctively know the burden. When we get away from the fundamentals, things just start to come apart. And the way to put things back together is to return to the basics. And so I want to return us this summer, the next 10 weeks, to the Ten Commandments. Because I don't really know of a better place to go. To look at the timeless truths about how to live well. Because not only does Christianity, but also Judaism and Islam look to these ten commandments as the foundation of what it takes to do life and to do life together. I mean, that's how fundamental they are. They're not just looked at by us who are claimed to have a faith in Christ, but it was all who are out there. And so I want to take us back to these timeless truths by which we can build prosperous lives, lives that that are whole and well. And, you know, I want to remind us that we violate, when we violate these truths, it always has consequences. You know, God created, in my belief, God created the world. And with it, He set up certain laws, like gravity. And we saw graphically over the last few days at a stadium in Arlington, Texas, that when you don't take care against the universal law of gravity, bad things can happen. As an 18-year veteran of a firefighter force fell out of the stands trying to catch a ball and died. When we violate God's principles in the spiritual world, as reflected in the Ten Commandments, it always has consequences for us. So out of that context, I want to remind you something. When God gives us a command, He always does so for our blessing, for our benefit. My opening statement there in your outlines is God is always trying to bless us when He commands us, when He gives us commands to follow. God's always trying to bless us when He gives us commands to follow. Many of you know we've got a young Rwanda man living with us, Arthur. And he's a great kid, and it's been really a joy to have him with us these last six weeks. And we've got still some more time this summer, and, and maybe longer. It depends on how the schooling thing goes. But it's been great watching Arthur have first experiences. This past week, he was up with us up at, at Lake Winnipesaukee at my parents' place, and we went out to dinner, and he, and he ordered a dish that I'd call chopino. You know, it's, it's just a mishmash of everything. So it was interesting to see him, uh, this plate of food arrive, and this broth, and there's some noodles on the bottom, but then there's mussels still in the shell, and, and clams, and shrimp, and et cetera. And he's, he's like, what did I order? <laughs> you know? And he, and he starts eating it, and, and he couldn't tell if he, but he really liked it. You know, in another place we took him, and at the urging of my youngest fun, son, he ordered a virgin pina colada. And the whole week, he's like, let's go back there. I want to get another one. I mean, he really liked it, you know? And he's, it's been fun watching him have these new experiences, you know? And for the most part, he's been very compliant. But I have one area where I always wrestle with Arthur. He doesn't like to wear a seatbelt. You know, it's like, we're in New Hampshire. I don't have to wear it. It's not the law, right? <laughs> you know? and he's always giving me attitude about wearing a seatbelt. You know, why do I make him put a seatbelt on? Because it's safer for him, right? I mean, accidents are just that, accidents. You don't plan for them to happen. So in particular, when he's sitting in the back seat, he doesn't like to wear it. Nothing ever bad happens in the back seat, you know, kind of idea. And, but when I give him instruction to wear a seatbelt, it's for his good. I'm not trying to harm him. I'm trying to protect him. I'm not trying to restrict him. I'm trying to, to release him to live another day in case something bad happens. You, know, you understand the idea? It's, it's meant to be a blessing. You know, I want us to remember that principle when we start looking through these truths related, these Ten Commandments. When God offers us these commandments, He does so to bless us. And they're for our benefit. And with that, He really wants us to know them. Look, look at Deuteronomy 5, 
uh, 29, and it, it, it's listed there in your, in your verse. I'm going to keep you here in Exodus. You can find the same, same uh, set of teachings over in, in Deuteronomy 5. But in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, 20, it says, Oh, that you had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments, that it may be well with them and their sons forever. God's intent is that by, as he gives them these spiritual laws, is that if they will have a heart to follow them, it will be well with them and with their sons forever. And He never wants us to forget these commands that He's given us. He wants us to teach them to their children. I, I, I was convicted this week that I could not state the Ten Commandments with confidence. Probably you gave me enough time, I'd get all ten. But, you know, these are, these are the foundation of what it means to live life well, to live life in a way that God can bless. And many of us don't even know the Ten Commandments. So I, I want to issue you a challenge. One of the things I'd love for you to do through this ten weeks of the summer... It's just memorize the Ten Commandments. I don't care if you memorize them word for word. Just get the basic idea. You know, if you want to memorize them word for word, that's okay. You know, but some of them, like the Second Commandment, is three or four verses about idolatry. You know, it says, thou shalt not have any graven images. I'd live with that. You know, but just memorize. Learn the Ten Commandments. Because we, we need that in our resident access memory. So we know what it takes to, to walk and to live with God. Now, the first of these... And let's pick up with Exodus chapter 20. This is very early on in the formation of the people of God since they've come out of, the ex- come out of Egypt. You know, at the beginning in Exodus, we have the whole story of Moses. We have him finally coming back into, the, the, into Egypt. His ongoing discussion and, 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 and conflict, if you will, with the Pharaoh. Finally, after the final plague, the death of the firstborn, he releases the people of God. They come out through the Red Sea. They make their way through the journey, and they come to the holy mountain, to Mount Sinai, in the region of Horeb. And we learn a little bit more in Deuteronomy, where we have the exact same thing, where Moses is ready to exit off the scene. He's ready to hand off leadership. He says, I want to remind you again of the foundations, the fundamentals, what it really takes to walk with God, what it takes to live well, a life that God can bless. And he gives us the same Ten Commandments all over again. Verse 1 of chapter 20. This is on page 62 in your pew Bibles. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of a place of slavery. You know how I want you to interpret that? Guys, let me start first of all by reminding you, I've already acted in your best interest. I've already demonstrated to you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that I care about you. So what I'm going to tell you is for your blessing. Verse 3. Do not have other gods before me. So I want to look at today, the first commandment. Do not have other gods before me. One, one of the questions you might ask about this is, well, what's this other God stuff? I thought there was only one God. Doesn't he say in other places, you know, the Lord your God is one, you know? Are there other gods? Well, this is actually a little g, not a capital G. And there are things in our lives that can be gods to us, that can rival our relationship, our allegiance to the God, the only God. And so as God launches this journey, he says, I don't want you to have anything in your life that detracts from your trust and your allegiance to me. Everything that's a part of your life, I want to be something that feeds your trust and your faithfulness to me. But I don't want to have you to have things in your life that compete with my place in your life. I've already acted in your best interest. I've already done for you what you could not do for yourself. I got you out of Egypt. Or I've already done for you what you could not do for yourself because I put my son on the cross to pay for the cost, the price of your sin. And with that, I want to tell you, I, already, I care about you. And because of that, I want to say to you, you need to have me first and have no competitors in place. So here's the principle. Put God first. 
It's not very complicated, but it's very important. When, if we want to live life well, if we want to live a life that God can really bless, we have to put God first. That's it. Now, that's a journey, but that's it. And every time gives, God gives us a command, he gives us a promise. Here's what God says. If, if you put me first, this is what you happens from Proverbs chapter 3. And everything you do, put God first, and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Put God first. Now, if you're like me, you want to know, well, how can I tell? How can I tell if I put God first? Let me just give you five things. And, and you know, whenever you try to do this kind of thing, and I, I'm going to give, just give you uh, an acrostic off the word first. Put God first, the acrostic, F-I-R-S-T. I'm going to go through these very quickly. One of the things that we can do to tell if we are putting God first is to look at our finances. Oh, the pastor's going to talk about money again. Oh, boy. You know, listen, you know, I, first of all, I want to tell you that Hope Chapel is not having money problems right now, so that's not my motivation. We just finished our budget year at the end of June. We actually finished above budget, even though we put in a budget increase last year. That kind of thing. You know, we're doing, that's not my motivation. is for you to clearly understand part of what it means to put God first. Now listen, it is not, does not take rocket science to understand that we spend most of our lives earning money, right? I mean, the biggest chunk of your time in the course of a week is spent what? Working, right? You know, the, the, at least the time that you're awake, the biggest chunk of what you do is spent working. And for those of you who it's not spent working, you wish you were working because you've been looking for jobs and etc. You know, it's, and with that, and then once we get it, we, we, we're focused on how we're going to spend it. And are we going to have enough to, you know, it's a major part of our lives. And, and let me make a very bold statement to you. You will never be able to put God first in your life if God's not first in your finances. Just never going to happen. If God's not first in your finances, he's never going to be first in all of your life. Just not going to happen. I wish it could happen. I, I, you know, many times I've sat down and think, all the money that I've given just to building campaigns, I could have put my kids through school, through college, you know? And, and you know, I would have had plenty of money to do that. And so there's, there's parts of me that said, boy, I wish I didn't have. But, you know, God says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. And he will fill your barns to overflowing. As he says in Deuteronomy 14, the purpose of tithing. And the word tithe means 10%. The purpose of giving 10% is to teach you to put God first in your lives. It's an incredible amount of trust. It's interesting that one of the things that we are most secret about is our bank statements, right? We don't want anybody to see our bank statements, right? It's, it's interesting that if you have somebody you trust, just to show them a couple, three months worth of your bank statements and ask them, does my bank statement show you that I put God first? That I put the trust out there? Those kinds of things. So one place to look is your finances. The other is your interests. You know, we have lots of interests, whether it's from sewing to playing golf, whether it's collecting stamps to gardening. The list just goes on and on. Whatever we do in our interests, and, and those things aren't bad. God wants us to have joy in our lives. He does a, he, as any loving parent, he wants us to have those moments where we're truly excited and we're, we're enjoying ourselves. We enjoy what we're doing. That, that, those things aren't opposite to God. But whatever we do, God wants us to be doing those things in a way that glorify him. Look what he says here. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so whether you're, you know, no matter what you're doing, God wants you to be doing it in a way that, that brings him glory. I think the primary thing is, is to always have an attitude of gratitude in all the things that you're doing. And everything you're doing, the, the job that you have, to the hobbies you get to execute, man, when I'm standing out there in a the tee box and I slice one into the woods, I always try to remind myself it beats working. 
You know, I mean, just always try to have an attitude of gratitude, you know. I mean, and it keeps me humble, which is another job skill that I need. So there's lots of good things that come out of just hitting the ball out into the woods, you know. Because when you go looking for it, you usually find five more. There's all kinds of blessings that come with hitting the ball in the woods, you know. And, and, and you just have to have this attitude of gratitude in the midst of all of it. And you want to be able to tell if, if, if you're putting God first in your interests. It's just look at the things in your life that excite you. I mean, I'm a sports fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm a Patriots fan. I'm a Celtics fan. I'm a Bruins fan. You know, I'm a fan of the teams that my kids have played on. I'm a fan. And it shows, right? But sometimes when we get around to thinking about spiritual things, well, to be excited about God means you're not a fan. It means you're a fanatic. And that's not a good thing. But we need to put God first in our interests. This next one is relationships. We've got the F, our finances. We have the I, our interests. We have our, the R, our relationships. There's, there's a couple of things I'd like for you to think about. And, and it really has to do on your intent in influencing others in relationships. And then the influence that others have on you in your relationships. Now, first of all, one of the ways that you can tell you're putting God first in your relationships is that you're always seeking. You have an intentional desire to be a positive spiritual influence on their lives. You're not just neutral, but you're trying to be a positive spiritual influence on their lives. If that's something that's on your heart and your soul, the way you relate to your spouse, the way you relate to your children, relate to your parents and your brothers and sisters and to your neighbors and to the people you work with, if you're trying to be a positive spiritual influence, then you're putting God first. Then secondly, think about the impact or the influence that others are having on you. It's interesting that... When you, when you translate Proverbs 27 into some modern kind of vernacular, it says what a man is really like is shown by the kinds of friends he chooses. Now, now folks, again, this isn't rocket science. You can, you can argue with me if you want. But if the people you have closest to you are lukewarm spiritually, you're going to be lukewarm spiritually. And if the people who are closest to you are on fire spiritually, you're going to be on fire spiritually. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have people who are far from God, who need to find God, etc., is in your relationship orbit. But the people who are up close and personal, who have a connection with you, that really influence how you think, how you feel, what you do, if those people are lukewarm spiritually, that's where you're headed, or that's where you already are. It shows your priorities and whether or not God is first. The S is for schedule. We could just go on and on here, couldn't we? I mean, none of us has any white space in our calendars, right? I mean, we just run from one thing after another, and, and when we're not actively doing something, we're building a list of all the things that we need to do in the near future, right? I mean, we're just always pushed, and it's so easy to leave God out of our schedule. And God says, you know, you need to make the best use of your time, because he actually says, for the days are evil. Grasp firmly what you know to be the will of God. This is from Ephesians. You know, we just need to do two things. First of all, we need to put God into our schedule. We need to spend time with God every day. I mean, there are many of us who think that we're stronger and greater than Jesus. Because Jesus had to spend time with God every single day. But we think we don't have to. We think we can be spiritually okay. We think we can live great lives. We're talking to God maybe once a week, maybe once a month or whatever. We, we can't. We need to put God into our schedule. It doesn't really matter when you do it. I mean, for me, one of the hang-ups is, is I'm not an early riser. I'm getting to be an earlier riser as we go along, but, but I've never been an early riser. I'm not one of those guys who gets easily out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm just not. But that does, that's not the only time to meet with God. You know what? If you're not an early riser, you know, just, 
when you get done with the end of the day, walk out to your car in the parking lot and spend 15 minutes with God before you head home. Just keep your Bible right there in the car with you. Pop on the heat, pop on the air conditioning, whatever. Just sit there and spend some time with God. Do it at lunchtime. Your bologna sandwich or your garden salads with, you know, with balsamic, you know, whatever on it, you know. Whatever good stuff you want to put on it, just, just go out underneath the tree close to work and just spend some time with God. Reading the Word and, and studying the, the Scriptures and praying to God. We need to put God into our schedules. And then we need to ask God what needs to be in our schedules. Those two things. Last point. We also, I think, can tell whether or not God is first in our lives in the way that we're handling our troubles. You know, in the way that we're handling our troubles. You know, Jesus says, call, God says, call upon me in your day of trouble and I will deliver you and you will honor me. Now, I've been a few times in my journey where I've come across people who have said, you know what? When things were going well, you know, I, I never sought God. So now that I'm in trouble, I don't think it's fair that I, I look for God, that I ask God to help out. That's ridiculous. I'll just tell you, that's ridiculous. I've also known people who, who have asked God to do something in their lives. God's done something incredible for them. Then they've walked away from God, totally ignored God, and then when something else comes up, they feel guilty about going back to God. That's also ridiculous. We should seek God in our time of trouble. Often for us, resorting to seeking God in the midst of our troubles, how to resolve what's going on in our lives, no matter what part it is, whether it's our finance or our relationships or our health or whatever, we only come to see, reaching out to God as a last resort. I've done everything possible. I've been to all the best doctors. It must be time to pray. You know, it's only when it's hopeless that we really reach out. That's ridiculous. How do you know if God's first in your troubles? And, and what I'd say to you is, if you're worrying, God's not first in your troubles. If you're worrying, then God is not first in your troubles. You know, in the midst of a sermon about worry, about how, what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and how long you're going to live and all those kinds of things, Jesus said, just seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. It's the antidote to worry. And if we're seeking God first, it's going to drive worry away. To get life right from the very beginning is to put God first. The way to straighten out any of the messes or to solve any of the issues that we have in our lives, the way to get ourselves back to a place where we feel stronger and healthier and more put together and more whole is to put God first. Is to put God first. God speaks that command to us to be a blessing because it is the fundamental orientation of what it takes to live life well. And it is indeed a timeless truth for living life well. i got a challenge for you. I've already asked you to, to really consider memorizing the Ten Commandments. Some of them are really easy. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie, those kinds of great things. But I want to challenge you over these next ten weeks to put God first. Just give it ten weeks. I'm just asking you to give it for ten. That's from now to Labor Day. I mean, you could probably hold your breath from now to Labor Day. It's just not that long, you know? And the good thing about it is they say it, it takes 30 days to establish a new habit. Well, I, I'm giving you that plus 10 more. I'm giving you 70 days, right, to establish a new habit. Put God first. One of the things I'd ask you to do as a part of that, just read your Bible and pray every day. Just read and pray every day. If that's something you're not doing, just do that. If you, don't, if you need a guide to follow along, we, we have that posted on our website. You can just pick up with our Bible reading plan no matter where it's at and just follow through. But just read and pray every day. I'm going to challenge you to trust God financially. The Scripture talks about giving a tithe, you know, which is 10%. You know, I, I can't apologize for that. Someone said, well, it doesn't really mention that in the New Testament. You're right. The New Testament takes all the laws of God and internalizes it. It makes it our heart, not just our action. So it's all of that and more is it to live in a way in which we are given. Just trust God financially, just for 10 weeks, and see what God does in that. 
And then lastly, just establish some relationships that strengthen you spiritually. That's one of the reasons we encourage people to get involved with life groups here at Hope Chapel. It's interesting to me that how many families do not have relationships with other believers that are close enough that it would be appropriate for them to invite other believers into their home to be a model for their own children about the way they work. It, that it would just be weird if they just called up and said, hey, would you come have dinner with us or come to a cookout? They don't have that, that kind of relationship with people. So they can even just bring others into their own home that can be a demonstration to their children of what, of what it means to be a person who walks with God and what that person can look like and seem like. Establish relationships that strengthen your faith. Just those three things. Read and pray every day. Trust God financially and establish relationships that strengthen your faith. Put God first in everything you do and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word. You know, I, like any loving parent, God, you just speak to us very clearly, directly, and without apology. And that could be hard because there's ways in which I and others here want to argue with you about certain things. Wouldn't it be better if we did it this way? But God, I thank you as the one who sees all of history as though it's present tense, who understands how everything works and where everything's going, that you've cared enough about us to tell us this is the way you need to do life. God, where I need to change, and I think I can voice a prayer for many who are here today, the way that we need to change in putting you first. We invite you to partner with us through your power of your spirit in making those adjustments so that we could honor you and we can experience your blessings in our lives. For this we pray in Christ's name, amen.